Hello everyone and thank you for joining us today for the launch of the flagship Global Status of CCS 2020 report. My name is Galoran Turan and I'm the General Manager of Advocacy at the Global CCS Institute. The status report authored by the Institute provides a comprehensive update of overview and progress of, of CCS carbon capture and storage developments around the world. And today Jeff Erickson the Institute's General Manager of Client Engagement, and I will provide you with a snapshot of the key findings from the report. The report is now available and uh, free for you to download on our website at www.globalccsinstitute.com. But before we get started, if you're on social media, we encourage you to join us, our online discussions as we live tweet. Follow us on Twitter at GlobalCCS, and please use the hashtag DataCCS2020 to chime in. We will have several speakers joining us today, including a panel of industry experts. And we will have a brief Q&A session following our presentation. So I encourage you to uh, log your questions through the GoToWebinar control panel uh, throughout the way. But before we kick off um, today's report launch, joining us, we feel very privileged to have uh, the Minister of Petroleum and Energy from Norway, Ms. Tina Bru, joining us to provide the keynote remarks. Norway has been a long-time leader in CCS development, having been storing CO2 underground since 1996. The country made headlines earlier this year when the government gave green light to the landscape project committing to invest 1.5 billion euros into it. And it's a hub and cluster initiative that will have enough storage capacity to receive and store uh, captured CO2 from across Europe. To speak now about this key climate technology, we have Minister Brew. Minister Brew. Dear everyone, and dear good friends of CCS around the globe, it is a great pleasure for me to speak to you today, even though it is through a camera. I hope my message finds you well. I'm glad I have the opportunity to share with you our aspirations and perspectives on full-scale CCS. The report being launched today shows that there is a boost in enthusiasm for CCS projects globally, and that the number of projects have increased sharply in the last few years. Norway has great belief in CCS, and we want, it, we want to see it succeed. It is an important and efficient tool for mitigating climate change. Furthermore, it is important for me to underscore that we have a long and positive experience with CCS here in Norway. CO2 has been captured and stored on the Norwegian continental shelf since 1996 in connection with our oil and gas industry. And many industry leaders and key politicians I speak to, they tell me that the public support and the, the increased understanding of CCS and its role in reducing emissions is driving this technology forward. I share their views. And I believe we are now moving this issue forward in a very positive way. And in September, we launched a full-scale industrial CCS project here in Norway the largest in our history. We have, for the last six years, developed a project that will demonstrate a complete chain of carbon capture, 
transport, and storage. One of the first in the world to scale up this type of flexible solution. And the Norwegian government recently proposed funding for the implementation of this project, named Longship. And the name is a nod to our Viking heritage, as the longships of the day were innovative and, of course, modern. And they brought us out into the world. And we hope that we will be able to bring this new, complete, and flexible solution out to the world as well. And with that, enable more CCS solutions to be viable. Longship involves CO2 capture from industrial sources where liquid CO2 will be transported by ship to a terminal on the west coast of Norway. From there, CO2 will be pumped through pipelines to a reservoir 2,600 meters beneath the seafloor in the North Sea. And we propose to first implement CO2 capture at a cement factory at Breivik. In addition, we also propose to partially fund CO2 capture at a waste-to-energy facility in Oslo. But I invite others to invest with us to develop this climate technology further. The storage infrastructure in Longship is designed with excess capacity to enable storage of CO2 from other CO2 sources. We believe this will lower the hurdle for the realization of other projects. Because if we are to consider this project a success, it will rely on the development of new projects that can benefit from technology transfer and use of shared infrastructure. This project must not be the first and only, it must be the first of many. And Longship is a milestone in the Norwegian government's industry and climate efforts. It will lead to emission cuts in Norway, and it will facilitate the development of new technology, and thus also, of course, new jobs. In several energy-intensive industries, such as production of cement, metals, and waste to energy, there are currently no other methods to cut all the CO2 emissions. With the knowledge currently available, CCS will be necessary on a large scale if we are to meet the climate targets at an acceptable cost. CCS technology will also be decisive to achieve carbon negative solutions in the second half of this century. Let me also shortly address how CCS fits in with goals and aspirations for the COP26. Our main priority for COP26 should be to finalize the Article 6 negotiations and catching up on many unresolved issues due to the cancelled meetings this year. While being a firm supporter of CCS, I believe that, this, that the COP should focus on general emission reductions and adaptions not on individual technologies. But it is clear that CCS is necessary for reaching the balance between emissions and renewables by sinks, as agreed in the Paris Agreement. When submitting our enhanced climate target, we included CCS. I hope many countries will do the same. The annual reports from the Global CCS Institute provide an excellent update for the deployment of CCS. Thank you for preparing it, because it gives insights and it demonstrates that CCS is becoming a mainstay of the, of the global climate efforts. And we need to speak up about CCS. We need to share the good examples of CCS. 
And we need to be advocates for this solution. And I believe we need to make it a success together. Thank you so much for your attention. I thank Minister Bru for these words and insights. Indeed, Norway has seen much CCS progress over the past year, as has many other parts of the world. Jeff and I are excited to walk you through the findings of this year's status report, giving a global overview of CCS developments. In 2020, the pipeline of CCS facilities, both operational and under development, continued to grow for the third year in a row. 2020 was undoubtedly a very challenging year because of the pandemic and the economic impact that it caused. However, from a climate point of view, it was a year of building back better. The number of countries, cities and companies committing to net zero targets continued to grow. And there was also increasing recognition that meeting net zero emissions target without CCS is going to be extremely challenging, if not outright impossible. As a result, government support for CCS, both in terms of policy and funding, continued to grow. And indeed, CCS was uh, part of a number of recovery packages. The US, UK, Norway, EU, Japan and Australia are notable in this regard. And Jeff will talk a little bit more about in detail about them in a few minutes. In addition to the net zero targets, we saw three key factors enhancing the business case for CCS and helping accelerate its deployment around the world. Firstly, enhanced tax credits in the US, otherwise um, known as 45Q. The US is without a doubt is the leader in the CCS scoreboard. It has the largest number of uh, CCS facilities, both in operation and under development, uh, as well as 12 of the 17 uh, totally new facilities added to the pipeline last year are located in the US. This is in large part due to the very supportive policy environment for CCS in the US, the 45Q tax credit, the federal tax credit, but also uh, because of the supportive policies at, at the state level, for example, in California, the low carbon fuel standard. Secondly, we're seeing hub and clusters emerging quickly as the favorite business model for CCS. Hub end clusters help reduce risk, they help reduce costs and facilitate uh, industrial, regional industrial decarbonization. As a result, uh, we observe that governments, project sponsors, banks and local communities all alike like them. Thirdly, hydrogen. Hydrogen has long been called the fuel of the future, but that future is increasingly becoming very imminent. Uh, using CCS to produce low carbon clean hydrogen currently is the lowest cost option for producing low carbon hydrogen and we expect it to remain so uh, in locations in particular where there isn't an abundance of renewable uh, electricity or where we expect the fossil fuel prices to be continue to be low. However, despite this progress in, in 2020 and the good news, we should not lose sight of the fact that uh, this is nowhere near enough. And if we are to reach net zero targets, CCS, we need to scale up the CCS capacity by more than a hundredfold in the next 30 years. This is undoubtedly a huge challenge, but nevertheless, one that, that we must face. And as the Institute, we think that it's not insurmountable. In 2020, we introduced a new system of classifying CCS facilities. 
In the past, we used to focus on uh, the capture capacity to differentiate between what we call large-scale facilities and what we call pilot and, and demo facilities. This system of classification became less useful, particularly over the last year, as hub and cluster development started to take off, because hub and clusters offer shared transport and storage infrastructure, and thus enable smaller sources of CO2, emission sources of CO2, to become commercially viable. As such, um, our new classification system categorizes facilities either as commercial or as pilot and demonstration. Based on this uh, system, there are 65, a total of 65 commercial facilities in various different stages um, in, in the pipeline. Um, of these, there are 26 facilities that are currently operating today. There are two facilities that have suspended operations. These are Petronova and Lost Cabin, three commercial facilities under construction, and 34 in uh, various different stages of, of development. All the facilities, the total pipeline of 65 facilities, have a cumulative maximum capture and storage capacity of around 115 million tonnes of CO2 per annum. And last year, in 2020, almost 40 million tonnes of CO2 was captured and stored from the 26 facilities um, in operation. Here is a map of um, all CCS facilities, both commercial and demo facilities around the world, uh, showing where the concentration of CCS activity is. And Jeff will shortly discuss the developments in the Americas, in Europe, in JCC and APAC regions. And here is a bar chart of the CCS uh, pipeline uh, development historically. As you can see, uh, in the earlier uh, years of the decade, there was a fair bit of attrition, project attrition, but uh, the pipeline has been growing uh, for the third year in a row now and almost doubling in capacity since 2017. And capacity-wise, there has been a 33%, a third increase year on year uh, since 2019. Here is a bubble chart of CCS facilities across different applications of CCS. This chart shows facilities that are either operational, in operations, suspended operations, or in advanced stages of development, and therefore it does not include those facilities that are in early stages that have been recently added to the pipeline. Um, on the y-axis of the, of the chart, we have the different applications of CCS. On the x-axis, we have the years. And the size of the bubble um, shows the capture capacity of the plant in question. There are a few things I want to point out about this chart. Firstly, the y-axis, and I'd like to draw your attention to the diversity of applications. These range from heavy industries such as cement and steel production to power generation, gas, coal, waste to energy, hydrogen, natural gas processing, and we haven't even plotted uh, carbon dioxide removal technologies, direct air capture and, and BECS on this chart. This is underlining the versatility of CCS as a climate mitigation technology. Secondly, when we look at the historic evolution, uh, we see that the early facilities concentrated almost entirely on gas processing, fertilizer and chemical production and ethanol production. But now looking forwards, we're seeing a much bigger diversity of applications and we're looking forward to having the first cement plant, the first waste to energy plant and the first 
natural gas power plant with CCS online. And the third final point I want to make is that you can see the big increase in the number of, of power facilities, both coal and gas-fired power facilities with CCS in development. This is predominantly a US uh, phenomenon, but I've also mentioned that there are a number of earlier stage uh, CCS plants with um, on, on gas-fired generation that I'm planning in, in the UK. Early developments of CCS adopted mostly a point-to-point -point model where a single source, a large emission source, was connected through a dedicated pipeline uh, to a de dedicated storage site. However, like most industries, CCS benefits from economies of scale and therefore hubs and clusters are quickly becoming as the preferred business model. Hubs and clusters involve connecting multiple emission sources through a shared transport infrastructure to a shared storage facility. This is a preferred business model because it reduces interdependency risk between the different parties. It enables the different parties to concentrate on what they do best within the chain, i.e. be it storage or be it uh, ca capture. And hubs and clusters um, enable scaling up of, of capacity of the infrastructure and thus lead to lower unit costs as well. On this slide, on the right-hand side, you can see a map of the Langskip project that uh, Minister Brew talked about in Norway. It's one of the most advanced um, hubs in development and its transport and storage infrastructure is often referred to, you may have heard, as often being referred to as Northern Lights. Um, it initially aims to capture, again, as Minister said, CO2 from a cement and a waste to energy plant in Norway, but it's being scaled up to store emissions from across Europe and this map shows the potential uh, emission sources, the candidate emission sources that are contemplating sending their emissions, CO2 emissions to Northern Lights. And as you can see, there's a number, impressive number of, of CO2 sources that are candidates for this across Europe. And this is a map of hub and clusters in existence or under development. There's at least a dozen hub and clusters under development around the world, which you can read more about in the report. And with that, I would like to turn over to Jeff for him to give the regional highlights. Jeff. Great, thank you very much, Galarin. As we look around the world at the various regions, there's one theme that resonates across all of them, and that is momentum. We see both public sector, and private sector support for and investment in CCS growing in every region. And let me start with the Americas region. We added 12 new CCS facilities to our database from the Americas region, all of which are in the United States. That brings the total in the region to 36 facilities that are operating or in the development stage, plus two that are currently idled. That's more than half of the global total. In the US, the big news of 2020 was the finalization of the rules around the 45Q tax credit. 45Q and the California Low Carbon Fuel Standard have driven a great deal of interest, making the business case feasible for many new projects. And the US Department of Energy continues to provide hundreds of millions of dollars in co-funding support to get potential projects through the early stages of development. The CCS projects in development in the US are quite diverse, 
with new projects in cement, waste to energy, ethanol, chemical production, and coal and gas-fired power. In Canada, the big news of 2020 was the commencement of the Alberta Carbon Trunk Line. The ACTL is another hub and cluster project with two CO2 emission sources, a refinery and a fertilizer plant to start and room for many more industrial facilities to eventually link into the ACTL pipeline. This project is a great example of a public-private partnership with the Albertan and Canadian governments providing substantial funding and the private sector assuming the operational and commercial risks. It's also a great opportunity, a great example of the long-term vision of the province as it sees the development of a low-carbon industrial corridor as an important part of its future. And in the Santos Basin off Brazil, offshore Brazil, Petrobras continues to quietly rack up their CO2 storage total, which is now over 14 million tons since the project commenced in 2013. Moving to Europe, we are seeing CCS momentum across the continent. 14 facilities are in operation or development and nearly all of them reflect the hub and cluster operating model. Notably, many are centered around ports, which have a high density of emission sources and an infrastructure and property ownership model that supports hub and cluster development. CCS has moved beyond the big three of Norway, the UK, and the Netherlands, and there are now projects being developed in numerous countries, including Denmark, Sweden, Italy, and others. The European Union has put out a first call for projects under the Innovation Fund, which is expected to be a major source of CCS funding going forward. The UK has recently committed to have two CCS industrial clusters in operation by 2025 and two more by 2030, with a billion pounds in funding to enable that. And the Norwegian government, as you've heard, has now moved ahead to fund its Langskip project, excuse me, the project that Minister Brew and Lauren mentioned in their remarks. While many of these projects have been under consideration for some time, the fact that transboundary shipment of CO2 is now allowed under the London Protocol, another significant development in 2020, has reduced risk and opened up commercial opportunities for these projects. And now on to the Asia Pacific region. We're seeing the emergence of a potential CCS powerhouse in the region. There are currently two operating CCS facilities, one in China, one in Australia, and another eight in development. There are also numerous pilot projects spanning natural gas processing, fertilizer production, hydrogen production, waste to energy, iron and steel, coal to chemicals, and cement. The model that is developing in this region is collaboration between governments, where, for example, one country has high emissions and a strong reduction commitment, and the other has ample storage resources and know-how. Japan, for example, is driving international activities to develop clean hydrogen production using CCS. Several countries in the region have emerging CCS strategies and the Australian government now has a $50 million fund to support CCS development through the early stages of projects. And China has announced a commitment to net zero emissions by 2060 and is currently working on its 14th five-year plan and CCS is likely to be part of the recommended actions. Moving finally to the Gulf region, this is an area of great potential for CCS and 
one in which the region's ability to adapt to a low carbon future has great implications for their economies. This region has operated CCS, operating CCS facilities in Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Qatar, and features the only operating CCS facility on a steel plant, the El Riyadh project in Abu Dhabi, run by ADNOC. Saudi Arabia is promoting a circular carbon economy model as a holistic approach to climate mitigation. The model includes four elements, reduce, reuse, recycle, and remove, and CCS is an important part of their path to net zero emissions. There's a huge storage potential in the region, as you can imagine from the fact that billions of barrels of oil and gas have been naturally stored in the geologic structure for millions of years. The two biggest emitters in the region, Saudi Arabia and the UAE, are also those countries that have taken a strong lead on CCS. So in summary, what we're seeing around the world is a recognition that CCS is vital to a net zero emissions future and that its versatility enables progress in four ways. Achieving deep decarbonization in hard to abate industries, enabling the production of low carbon hydrogen at scale, providing low carbon dispatchable power and delivering negative emissions. That said, if the world is to achieve climate stabilization and net zero emissions, a massive scale up of CCS is required. We need to move from 20 some operating CCS facilities in 2020 to more than 2000 CCS facilities by mid-century. To get there, policy is required uh, to provide the right incentives. Those policies need to create conditions for investment, facilitate the development of CO2 infrastructure, and clarify key legal and regulatory issues. So there's a lot to be excited about, but there's a lot more to do if CCS is to contribute meaningfully to get us back, uh, to get us on track to a net zero future. And with that, let me invite Galorn back in and she and I will be fielding questions. Jamie Burrows, our client engagement manager based in London, will be facilitating the Q&A. Hi, Jamie. Great, thank you. Well, thank you everyone for the questions that you've been submitting as uh, Galoran and Jeff have been presenting. Um, we've received many questions, so I may group some of these questions uh, together to address as many as uh, possible in the time allocated. Um, We've received a number of questions about uh, capture costs. Um, one, for example, could you please give us more colors about the, the cost decline of carbon capture and uh, other areas such as usage? So could you tell us a little bit more about capture costs and their decline, please? Um, I may perhaps start on that. So when we talk about CCS costs, one thing that we should bear in mind is that there is not one cost if you remember back the bubble chart that I showed, there are diverse and there are a number of diverse applications of CCS and the cost of CCS very much depends on the application, depending on the concentration of CO2 in the, in the stream, depending on the pressure, etc. Um, therefore, the cost varies from say $20 a ton roughly, give or take for gas processing to perhaps $100 a ton for heavy industry, for, for example, cement. And when we start talking about technologies like direct air capture, um, the cost is even higher in the two to $300 um, a ton range. 
having said this, one thing that is common across the various different um, applications is that costs come down through deployment. And, and the more we scale up, we expect to see the costs come down even further. Uh, and we have examples of this. For example, um, in power generation, the first uh, power plant with CCS was Boundary Dam. The cost came in around $110 a ton. And then for Petronova, the cost was down at the second of a kind, from the first of a kind to the second of a kind, that came down to $65 a ton. And based on some of the feed assessments and studies that are done for the plants in development, we understand that the costs for similar plants are going to be around, are expected to be around $45 a ton or so. And the third thing I would like to mention is, of course, innovation. So as, as maybe new breakthrough uh, developments, technologies are brought to market, and I'm thinking, for example, the LM cycle, as these are become commercial, there's also potential to bring down costs even further. Jeff? Hey, Jimmy, yeah, if I can, I, let me just add to what Lauren said. You know, there's a lot of focus on cost, and that's an important piece of the business a case for CCS, but it's not the only piece. And, and the other element mm -hmm. of that business case is value. And so while costs are important, so is the value that CCS provides both to countries and to companies, particularly those that have made uh, uh, dramatic uh, reduction commitments over the longer term. So uh, CCS certainly will enable those countries and companies to achieve those long-term net zero emission goals, they uh, sustain industries, they provide employment opportunities, they provide um, a, a brand rep or brand mm -hmm. value as well. So in addition to the cost coming down, uh, we're seeing mm -hmm. also the value of CCS increasing at the same time. Great, thank you. Um, we've received several questions uh, in relation to utilization. Um, so why would we store CO2 when it could be converted into new products? Yeah, I'll go ahead and start with that. And, and I, I think the answer is that this is not an either or. Uh, utilization, uh, carbon utilization and carbon storage need to happen um, in parallel with each other, both moving forward to, to increase uh, the amount of emissions that they're sequestering. Um, but I think in the, certainly in the next decade or two, the benefit to storage and the need for, for storage is because it provides scale. Um, while there are a lot of great utilization opportunities and many of those provide a revenue source uh, for those companies, uh, what the world needs now is scale. Uh, over the next two, two decades, we need a lot of CO2 to be pulled out of the atmosphere or prevented from getting into the atmosphere. And that's the, the advantage that, that uh, storage has certainly in the near term and midterm over uh, utilization. We certainly support utilization of the products, uh, uh, utilization of CO2 in products. We hope and expect that market to continue to grow. And as it does, it's gonna continue to be complementary to uh, the storage element. Just one minor point to add to what Jeff said, which I agree with completely. Uh, we support storage as long as, of course, storage is permanent in the product and is not released back into the atmosphere. And I think permanence is a very important factor of geological storage as well. There is no, as Jeff said, we need both, but there is no walking away from the fact that we'll need a lot of geological storage to meet our climate targets. Okay, great, thank you. So we've had uh, some questions uh, around storage methods. Um, how many projects are storing geologically and how many store through enhanced oil recovery? 
I think from the top of my head, five projects are uh, storing CO2 through dedicated storage and the rest, oh, I'm talking about the projects that are in operation, the rest, the remainder are, are storing uh, through uh, enhanced oil recovery. When we look at the new projects, new facilities that are added to our pipeline, and I remember this particularly for the US, which is, as we discussed, 12 of the 17 new facilities, um, I, because I looked at it this morning, I know that at least half of them are considering uh, dedicated geological storage. So that seems to be certainly kind of increasingly getting more attention and, and potential uh, going forward. Yeah, in, in the US, you know, in the early days, again, EOR was an important part of the business case. It was actually, you know, well before we started seeing CCS as a key contributor to, to a climate change solution. Um, and uh, so there was a lot of uh, knowledge and experience that was built on the back of enhanced oil recovery. And while that continues to be an important part of the business case in many parts of the world, um, as Lauren said, there is a movement towards dedicated storage as a, as a preferred alternative in many places. Great. And I have a, a question here, which um, is probably best given towards yourself. Jeff, um, why hasn't the US adopted the hub and cluster model? Oh, you know, I could I could go back to our our uh, our culture of independence, but I think it's actually it, it's probably um, because historically the uh, projects that have been under under development have been um, either vertically integrated, so. Uh, the same company is capturing the CO2 as is using the CO2. Um, and so it made sense to have, you know, one source, a pipeline and, and one storage hub. But what we are seeing actually is a movement in that direction. Um, and there's a, a couple of projects that are in development now, one in particular on the Gulf Coast um, that's employing the, uh, the hub and cluster model. And I'll, I think we'll see more and more of that. Some of that is enabled actually by the work that the Department of Energy has done through their carbon safe program to prove out storage capabilities. The intention there is to develop these regional storage hubs to which, or which can be supplied by uh, CO2 from multiple sources. Okay, great, thank you. Um, the next question here, renewable costs are dropping. Do we need CCS? Yes, we do. We need renewables, a lot of them as well. It's not a case of either or, it's a case of and, and. Um, we need CCS in addition to renewables, of course, particularly are relevant for power generation, but in addition to power generation, we need CCS to decarbonize industry. We need CCS to, uh, to remove CO2 from the atmosphere through direct air capture and, and BECs. We can use, we need CCS to produce clean hydrogen, and even in power generation, um, CC, uh, uh, gas and, and, and sort of fossil-based fuel, uh, fossil fuel power plants with CCS can uh, provide um, flexible, dispatchable, low-carbon power, thereby helping to uh, with the grid, grid stability. So CCS has a number of um, applications, a number of roles to play. But it's not a case of either or, need renewable CCS energy efficiency. That's something that we as the institutes have been saying for a number of years, and so are other organizations like IEA. So it's very much a case of and, and. Great. So there's a question here about uh, public perception. 
uh, given that the costs of CCS may ultimately be borne by the public through taxes or increased costs, public acceptance of CCS is important. What are your views on the current degree of public acceptance for CCS and how does this differ across regions? I can start with that. Um, you know, I used the word momentum when I was talking mm -hmm. about what's happening with projects around the world. And I think that's the case as well for uh, public acceptance. The concerns that are raised around CCS, many of them are absolutely relevant and important. The issue of permanence is quite important. Um, you know, the question about whether this is a, a reason or excuse to continue to emit is an important uh, question. Um, what we're seeing, though, is that, and I'll say in the US, you know, CCS is one of the few issues currently that has strong bipartisan support from both Democrats mm -hmm. and Republicans um, in Congress in particular, but also you see that also in the states. We're also seeing many uh, environmental NGOs that are, are uh, becoming stronger and louder supporters of CCS, mainly because of the math, right? They see that they mm -hmm. can't, we can't achieve a stable climate and net zero emissions um, without CCS playing an important role. There. So I think as folks uh, become more informed about the role for CCS, the essentiality, and what the actual risks are and what the risks aren't, I, I think we'll continue to see growing support. But we still have, I'll say, a lot of work to do. There needs to be continued mm -hmm. dialogue um, uh, uh, to continue to build that support, as we've seen in other industries. And just, I mean, again, kind of very much echoing, oops, what Jeff said, I was going to say that there's, I like the, uh, the phrase um, succeeds breeds or nothing succeeds like success because in places where there has been successful CCS development, we also see a lot of support for CCS as well, generally speaking. I know, for example, we heard from Minister Brew that I've spoke at in Trondheim a year or some 18 months ago at a university event and the the support for CCS from university from the youth the university students was, was really impressive I mean we have a country where this has been done successfully and safely as I said since 1996 so the support is very palpable and for example the US as well in perhaps parts of the world where it's new there is as Jeff said likely to be perhaps a bit more sort of questions in people's minds and it's important that the public you know public, the government and, and the private industry work hand in hand in order to uh, be transparent and, and raise the level of awareness and knowledge about CCS. Great, thank you. We've um, received several questions uh, about the deployment of CCS in developing countries. Um, so, for example, will CCS projects be feasible in Africa or developing countries? I wonder if you could share your views uh, around that. Well, I'll, I'll begin with that, and again, invite Lauren to, to provide her view. Um, there are some countries that are seeing significant opportunity, and I'm thinking in particular in Southeast Asia. Um, they see both an opportunity based on their geology um, and I mentioned international collaboration in Southeast Asia, and, and you are seeing that kind of partnering among those that have good geology and those that have high emissions. Um, so I think that's an opportunity for them. I think it will continue to be a challenge for 
developing countries to prioritize public funding for CCS when they've got other social needs that are quite dire. And so that implies um, a different business model than, than full you know, national government funding. Um, but certainly the interest is there and certainly the need is there. Not a lot to add to Jeff, um, only to point out that mobilizing finance, of course, is going to be critical. Mobilizing international finance is going to be critical. And in that regard, we're yet to see kind of the replacement of the clean development mechanism, Article 6, etc. Some of these developments and, and what comes out of COP26, I think, are quite going to be quite important for the development and deployment of CCS uh, in, in, in the um, non-OECD countries. Great. Thank you. The last question here. Um, I still hear commentators state that CCS is an unproven technology. Um, why do you think that is and what can we do about it? Well, um, I guess it's probably, I'll just start, um, it's probably because people don't see, a lot of people don't see a CCS facility on their rooftops or they're not driving through the countryside seeing, you know, wind turbine. CCS is a big capex, big industrial sort of scale project or has been. Um, so I think people are not necessarily aware of, of how many CCS facilities there are around the world. Um, we've been doing sort of sequestration since the 1970s in North America. We heard from Minister Bruce that, that Norway has been doing it geological storage since 1996. So I, I would call that actually, um, it, it's, 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 a, it's a proven technology. There are certain applications which we discussed which are going to be sort of new, but the fundamental technology is, is, is proven. So, and I think it's through um, events, webinars like these through our report, through other reports from other organizations like the IAA and others. I think we just need to work at chipping away that, that perception. don't know, Jeff, if you want to add anything. Um, yeah, it's a question of why is the perception there. Mm -hmm. I, I think it is, you know, certainly a misperception. It's been 100 years since we've learned how to separate CO2 um, from, from other gases. Um, so the, the elements are there, um, and, and I think all of us that are CCS proponents just need to do a better job of engaging, uh, mm -hmm. of, of listening, of talking, uh, of communicating, talking about the alternatives, talking about the progress that we've made and the progress that we mm -hmm. still need to make. So, um, and Lauren's right that, you know, if it's not visible, um, it, it's, it, it's not top of mind. And, um, you know, we see wind turbines every day. We see solar panels every day. Um, to show a CCS project is a bit more difficult. And I, I think that's part of the challenge that we all have in communicating this. Great. Well, thank you. We, we've had lots of questions. I'm, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there, but um, certainly to our audience, if you do have further questions around CCS, please do feel free to reach out to the Institute with them. We are here to uh, help to address those questions. Um, Jeff Galoran, thank you so much um, for, for answering those questions and thank you for your presentation.